Lift up the trumpet and loud let it ring, Jesus is coming again. Cheer up, you pilgrims, be joyful and sing, Jesus is coming again. This is the voice of prophecy, a voice crying in the wilderness of these modern days. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Coming again, coming again, Jesus is coming again. From our Voice of Prophecy studios in Los Angeles, California, we welcome you to this half hour of inspiration and music, transcribed with the King's Heralds, Del Delker, Brad Braley, and HMS Richards, voice of prophecy speaker. Miss Del Delker tells us in song of her preference, I'd rather have Jesus. I'd rather... 
our Father in heaven. We pray for thy blessing today upon the broadcast, all who take part in it, and all who listen to it, and this all in Jesus' name. Jesus, blessed Redeemer, sent from the heart of God, hold us who bow before Thee, near to the heart of God. is my Savior, that by my side He's walking all the day. How do I know, I know no matter where I'm straying, that lovingly He's watching me Spring! 
now is H.M.S. Richards, the voice of prophecy speaker. His subject, We Answer Questions. Our first question, are you, voice of prophecy, against the proposed new world calendar just because it's new? Our answer is no. There are many new things that are good. I'm certainly not opposed to a new calendar just because it's new. But I am opposed to any calendar, new or old, which would destroy the free-running week and tie it up to a blank day. Any calendar that has the blank day feature will destroy the free-running week, which has come down to us as long as we have a week or seven days from the very creation of this earth. Such a man-made institution would make it very difficult for Christians who believe that Sunday is the Lord's day to observe that day. Also, Difficult for Christians and Jews who believe that the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord their God. According to the Ten Commandments, to observe God's holy day would become almost impossible. We have a plain statement from the mouth of the Apostle Paul that we ought to obey God rather than man. Acts 5.29 Let us not inaugurate any man-made institution that would take away religious freedom from human beings, even if it could be proved to bring economic benefit. Question. Where is the text that says the things which I now hate I once loved and the things I once loved I now hate? Well, there is no such text in the Bible. The passage most like it, no doubt, would be Romans 7:15 and onward. There are many proverbs and popular sayings attributed to the scriptures which are not found in them. For instance, we have often been asked, where is the text that says cleanliness is next to godliness? The Bible doesn't say this, though there are many texts that teach cleanliness. One says, Be ye clean that bear the vessels of the Lord. Isaiah 52, 11. Is the Lord Jesus Christ ever called God in the Bible? Let us read Isaiah 9, verse 6, a prophecy of Jesus written 700 years before he was born. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now for a New Testament text, Hebrews 1, 8. 
But unto the Son, he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. Jesus himself said, I and my Father are one. John 10, verse 30. Here's another question that belongs with the one we've just answered. I've heard it claimed that Jesus existed before his birth in Bethlehem and that he had something to do with the creation of the world. Is this true? Our answer is found by quoting John 1, verses 1 to 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that is made. Now who is this divine Word? Verse 14 answers. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Of course, that's Jesus. Another question along the same line. Did Christ exist before creation? That is, before the creation of this world. We find our answer in the wonderful prayer of our Savior, recorded in the 17th chapter of John. Verse 5. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. That's quite clear, I believe. Dear Voice of Prophecy, I enjoy your broadcasts more than I can tell you. I also have a television set, so could you recommend a good television program? I certainly can. The program conducted by my personal friend and fellow minister, W.A. Fagel. It comes out of New York City and is called Faith for Today. Be sure and listen to it and view it. Question, what does the Lutheran Church teach regarding the law of God? I would suggest that you get in touch with the nearest Lutheran pastor who will give you full information on this subject. I recall that Martin Luther himself once said, he who destroys the doctrine of the law destroys at the same time political and social order. As to the law in itself, I have never rejected it. Question, dear sir, I heard a man speak on the subject of what happens five minutes after death. Can you tell me what does happen? What do you think? What I think matters little, but what the scriptures say matters much. In Psalm 146.4, we read of man in death. His breath goeth forth. He returneth to his earth. In that very day, his thoughts perish. But that isn't the final end of man. The Lord Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. John 11, 25. For a Bible explanation of what happens five minutes after death, I recommend the reading of chapter 47 with that very title in the book God Speaks to Modern Man, written by Arthur E. Lickey, another personal friend of mine. It has over 600 pages, by the way. Question. What does the Bible say about the fitness of whales, ducks, geese, and chickens for food? Answer, whales, ducks, geese, and chickens are not mentioned by name anywhere in the Bible, but you will find the list of clean and unclean creatures given in the 11th chapter of Leviticus. Question, do you believe in a second probation? The scripture teaches that mankind is now having his second probation. The first was in the Garden of Eden, in that he failed, sinned, was cast out. But with it came the promise of a redeemer, the seed of the woman must have bruised the serpent's head, Genesis 3:15. Abel offered a sacrifice which pointed forward to the Redeemer. Later the Redeemer came, was lifted up upon the cross in a complete once-for-all atoning sacrifice for sinners. 
Christ gave his life that man should have another trial. He did not die on the cross to abolish the law of God, but to secure for man a second probation. He did not die to make sin an immortal attribute. He died to secure the right to destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. Question. What is the mystery of iniquity, spoken of in 2 Thessalonians 2, 7? The mystery of iniquity is primarily Satan. He was a murderer from the beginning, also the father of lies, John 8, 14. The first sinner. He works through human agencies, and insofar as men reveal his spirit, they take part in his evil nature. Question, why was Cain's sacrifice rejected and Abel's accepted? Our answer is found in 1 John 3, 12. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. There's the difference. Christ's work was good, but the devil's work is evil. Cain's works were evil, his brothers were righteous. In what particular way was Abel righteous? Our answer is in Hebrews 11:4. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. Abel had faith. Cain had no faith. There was something about the sacrifice that expressed faith. What could it be? The blood of the sacrificed animal pointed forward to Christ's blood, which he was to shed for the sins of men. Cain's sacrifice was the fruit of the ground, a bloodless sacrifice, a Christless sacrifice. Ministers today should be careful lest they present in their sermons a Christian offering which is Christless. The burden of our message is not only the commandments of God, but remember, the faith of Jesus. Ministers are to present Christ in his fullness, for the blood of Christ it is that cleanseth from all sin. Question, I hear you say a good deal about the second coming of Christ, and you seem to really believe it, but after all, why should he come? Well, there are five things that he will do when he comes, and these are five reasons why he should come. First, he comes to raise the righteous dead. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. First Thessalonians 4.16 Second, he comes to catch up the righteous living with them. Verse 17 Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Third, he comes to change our bodies and glorify us. Philippians 3.20 For our conversation, that is our citizenship, is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. For he comes to take the righteous to heaven. I will come again, Jesus said, and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. John fourteen three, And five, and last, he comes to destroy the living wicked. As it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, so he says, shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. That's Luke 17, 26. We know that's true today. Immorality, corruption, and warfare lies a terrible dark cloud over the nations of this earth. God's final dealing with wicked men will begin at Christ's second coming. 
Are we looking for him? The great question is, how shall we meet him? Unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Hebrews 9.28 We are to love his appearing. 2 Timothy 4.8 Do we look for him? Do we love his appearing? It's our privilege. It's our duty to do so. Here's another good question. Dear sir, I understand that you are a Seventh-day Adventist. Is this so? And do you, with your people, believe in the deity of Christ? We're happy to answer this question. We like people to know these things. We have already answered it, in fact, but let us answer it again because of its supreme importance. I do indeed belong to the people mentioned, and our belief in the deity of Christ has been on record for many years. In the Summary of Doctrinal Beliefs, Article 2, which our people have published, we find these words, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, the eternal Son of God, is the only Savior from sin, and man's salvation is by grace through faith in him. So you see, we do believe in Christ's eternal pre-existence. The Word who became flesh was God. John 1, 1 to 14, we read that a little while ago. The I Am of the Old Testament was manifested in the person of Jesus, who, as we read in John 8:58, said, Before Abraham was, I am. And the people who were there at that time accused him of taking divine honors to himself. And he did because he was the Son of God. And he was divine and he is divine today. Our Savior's claims as to his mission, or should we say claims, he did not make them as claims. He assumed the deity that was his. These things established his deity. He was before all things. He existed before all. In fact, he was the creator. He was the active agent of the Father in creation. And by him all things were created and sustained, are sustained, as we read in Colossians 1.16. The deity of Christ runs like a golden thread through the New Testament. As stated by one of our leaders in the Signs of the Times, Christ is the pre-existent, self-existent Son of God. In speaking of his pre-existence, Christ carries the mind back to dateless ages. He assures us that there never was a time when he was not in close fellowship with the eternal God. It's our privilege to use the very words of Charles Wesley, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of his grace. My gracious Master and my God, assist me to proclaim to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of thy name.
serve him, praise him still, till we all on Zion's hill see the God is calling for each of us to go all out for him. Now, this is Orville Iverson, the Associate Minister of the Voice of Prophecy, with this word of encouragement. When you and God team up together, you cannot be defeated. So then, let us together look up and go forward in faith. Have faith in God, his holy word the test. Have faith in God, for then the heart's at rest. Have faith in God. His answer is the best. Have faith, dear friend, in God. We hope this transcribed program of ours has brought blessing to you. And we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for another broadcast brought to you by the Voice of Prophecy. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace.